Shalom and welcome to Parashat Vayikra. This is part C of a three-part series. We've already studied part A and part B. And so if you're just now joining us and you've, you've uh, started listening to this audio and I'm telling you that it's part C, I prefer that you go back and study part A and part B first. Part A is about 40 minutes long. Part B is about an hour long, and now we're picking up on Part C. If you're studying along with the written notes that are available on my website, uh, graftedin.com, um, then we're on page 12 uh, under the section entitled Sinless Perfection. All right, so this next section, Part C, will start out, and it's entitled Sinless Perfection, and it's, it, there's a question mark after the word perfection. Hashem's intent is really to draw us close to him in genuine loving fellowship. And of course, I don't really need to teach that to you. I'm, I'm talking to the choir now. God desires a relationship with us as much as or more than we desire a relationship with him. In fact, as we, um, as we, recall, as we recall, the word korban from the Hebrew, which is the uh, word rendered sacrifice or... Um, offering, the word korban has a corresponding word karov, which means draw near. In fact, um, let me just pull up uh, from my um, software here uh, the, the two different words. Give me one moment and I'll pull it up. Let's see. It is, let me look up Leviticus chapter 1, because that's where we first find the word offering. Uh, let's see, Leviticus chapter 1 verse 2, it says, Bring an offering, speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, if any, man, if any man of you bring an offering. And the word offering there is the root word um, korban. And it's a noun, the word korban, and it means offering or oblation or offered or sacrifice, um, according to the... Um, uh, Brown, Driver, Briggs, Jacinius, Lexicon. Actually, according to the Theological Word Book of the Old Testament, the TWOT, it means offering. But if we if we notice, the word korban, which is um, the noun, derives from the verb, and the verb is karav. Okay, karav. The verb means to come near. So the point is, is that. The verb karav, which means to draw near, gives rise to the noun korban, which means sacrifice. And the play on words is this. The sacrifice, or the offering, is the device that allows the worshiper to draw near to God. And conversely, the sacrifice, or the offering, is the device that allows God to draw near to the worshiper. It's that sacrifice that is the go-between um, betwixt man and and the Holy God. So with that in mind, my statement at the beginning of this commentary, Hashem's intent is to draw us close to him in genuine loving fellowship, makes more sense. And how else would God draw near to us than by providing for us a sinless, a sinless, spotless sacrifice, his own son, and the blood of his sacrifice allowing us, the worshiper, to draw near on the most intimate of levels with our holy God. However, as we begin our study of this section, are we to imagine that we have to be sinless as well? Is God demanding sinless perfection as we continually draw near to him? The answer should be no. 
However, as we do our study in this section, we're going to find that the sacrificial system anticipates our shortcomings. And in this anticipation, it allows the blood, as it were, to both cover kafar as well as to wipe clean the sanctum that gets stained by our very sin. To this end, God has designed the entire flow of the Torah to lead us to the goal of developing the kind of trusting faithfulness that produces obedience and surrender to his son, Yeshua HaMashiach. In the Torah, we see that a broken and contrite heart is the seedbed that will produce such trust in Hashem. If you want to trust God, then allow the Spirit of God to soften your heart and allow the Son of God to move in. The sacrifices make up for the fact, as we've studied, that we are less than perfect. Let's admit it. Even in Messiah, we're still less than perfect. Only until Messiah comes and our our flesh is changed into the very image of the Son, only then will we enjoy sinless perfection. But for now, um, we are less than perfect. We are, we are less than sinless or blameless in that sense. Uh, in our attempt to secure a right relationship with our Heavenly Abba, both in the time period of the Tanakh, when the sacrifices were allowed, as well as today, we bring sin into God's presence. So, we could ask ourselves, does the Torah expect perfection? Does God's righteous standard demand that we be sinless before we approach a holy God? And the answer is no. Rather, the Torah anticipates, as I mentioned, our failures and shortcomings and consequently makes the necessary provision for them to be taken care of. It knows, God knows, the Torah knows, because the Torah is God's revelation of himself to us. The Torah knows, as it were, that we are going to be bringing sin into the equation. And so that's why we've got the sacrifices in the first place. Consider, for example, the parents of Yochanan the Immerser, John the Baptizer, in Luke chapter 1, verse 6. The Torah states in no uncertain terms that, quote, both of them were righteous before God, observing all the mitzvot and ordinance of Adonai blamelessly. End quote. How did it describe them? Righteous and blameless? Does this mean that they were perfectly sinless? Of course not. They were human like the rest of us. The Torah simply recognized their abilities and efforts when it came to walking obediently in a genuine relationship with Hashem, and it made possible uh, the, 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 um, the provision, as it were, to maintain a right and healthy relationship through its system of offering of, the quarter, of Korbanot. That's what I'm trying to teach here, people. God didn't demand perfection. And you know what? The whole reason I'm bringing this up is because, again, sometimes in Christian circles I hear it taught that if you wanted to be righteous before God, you had to walk into the Torah blamelessly. You had to keep a perfection which God knew that no one could, and, and, but we didn't know until we had to find it out for ourselves. That's not what God's Torah teaches, and that's not what we should teach our students of the Bible. Pastors, if you're teaching that to your students, stop that nonsense. Don't teach them that the Torah demands perfection. It does not. The Torah has never expected sinless perfection from its followers. As I stated earlier, the heart was the beginning of of such a genuine relationship with God. We already know this. Even the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, testifies of this truth, that um, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your might or all your resources there, okay? So it's the heart that begins the journey towards a genuine relationship with God. Moreover, the obedience which flows from a genuine heart of trust is the natural expected result of true biblical faith. And that's the point I'm trying to get to. God does not demand sinless perfection. What God requires of us is a heart that is open and willing to receive his words of life and his spirit of truth. And in that reception, a genuine relationship is born. A genuine relationship to the giver of the Torah, God himself. And in that relationship, the Messiah spoken of throughout the Torah enters our life on a personal level. We enter into a genuine relationship with the Holy One of Israel, who is Yeshua, the very image of the God of Israel. That makes sense theologically, right? Well, in this description of the relationship with God, we, the worshiper, can bring sacrifices to God to wipe away the sin that stains the holy sanctuary of God. The very same sin that must be covered. The very same sin that must be dealt with through the blood of the animals, as it were, on our flesh, and through the blood of Yeshua, as it were, on our hearts and on our conscience. In this relationship, we demonstrate our faithfulness to God through bringing the sacrifices and through our obedience to the Torah, the words of God. We have faith in God. We demonstrate or vindicate our faith in God by bringing the sacrifices because God prescribes the sacrifices. God commands the sacrifices. God commands obedience. And Yeshua said it best. If you love me, keep my commandments. If we love God, we will keep his commandments. So, later on, we're going to talk about how that if the temple were to be brought back, not in this study, but in another study, if the temple were to be um, erected today in the 21st century, we as believers should not have any problem with bringing korbanot to such an edifice. Why? Because the korbanot do not compete with the blood of Yeshua. We learn this in part A. The korbanot complement what Yeshua has done on our behalf. And what do the korbanot do? They speak to the external. Yeshua's blood speaks to the internal. And thus, in that um, in that relationship between the external and the internal, we find the um, uh, the perfect example of drawing near to God. All right, let's move on. This next section is entitled "Calling Moshe." The closing book of Shemot and the and the opening few pages. Uh, actually, a few uh, opening few lines of Aikra have been rightfully recognized by our sages as forming a, a complete unit of thought. In fact, um, if you'll remember, or maybe you don't remember, it's easy for us uh, today to lose sight of this fact because in our Bibles we have separate books, separated by pages, separated by numbers, um, and things like that. But in the original Torah scrolls, if you remember, um, there was no such separation. Just one book flowed into the other. And it wasn't until later that the sages separated um, the books. And, it, and it's not wrong. I'm not trying to say that the separation of Exodus from the book of Leviticus is a wrong separation. No, I think it's a, a natural separation. <clears throat> one that God endorses. But rather, 
I'm simply trying to say that before the separation took place, it was easier to see what I'm about to describe. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 35, we read in the English, Moshe was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud remained on it and the glory of Adonai filled the tabernacle. Uh, the opening verse in Leviticus reads in Hebrew, Vaikra el Moshe vaideber Adonai elive meohel moed lemor, which translated into English is, Adonai called to Moshe and spoke to him from the tent of me, uh, the tent of meeting. He said, end quote. Now concerning their relationship, the f- the relationship of the f- of the two verses, uh, the phrase called to Moshe is very rarely used in the Torah. I bet you didn't know that. Well, usually we find Hashem speaking to him, saying, or commanding him, but seldom calling him. In other words, Vaikra el Moshe Vaidaber. Vaikra el Moshe. Usually it's Vayomer Adonai el Moshe. Vayomer, and God said to Moshe. But here we have Vaikra el Moshe and called to Moses. God did. All right? Um, the famous medieval stage, uh, medieval stage ra- uh, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, uh, Maimonides, affectionately known as the Rambam, he comments on, or Rambam, he comments on this opening verse in Vaikra, quote, So great and awesome was the glory of God that covered the new tabernacle that even Moses was afraid to enter until God, quote, called to reassure him that the tabernacle had been built to benefit Israel, end quote. I believe that quote was lifted from my um, uh, art scroll Tanakh. I didn't have the reference here in my paper. Um, as we look at this feature where God calls to Moshe as messianics, we can draw a similar conclusion that today Hashem is still speaking. He's still bidding. Indeed, he's calling unto his children. The apostolic scriptures, the Bechadashah, informs us, quote, from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. End quote. It's a wonderful thing, people, to know that God is calling to us. God called to Moshe from the the, the tabernacle that had been uh, newly erected as the glory of God had fallen on the tabernacle and Moshe were what was, as it were, driven from the presence of God and Moshe could not enter because the cloud was resting on the tabernacle. The, the, the glory of God actually drove Moshe away from. And it was only after God called to Moshe that Moshe could approach a holy God. The lesson for us today is crystal clear. And with this, I'll end my commentary. Hashem is calling to us through the person of his only unique son. God desires for us to draw close to him with a true heart.
The paradox lies in the fact that unless he draws us, we will not seek his face. Yet he bids us to seek him so that in seeking he may indeed be found. Amen. Amen. Let me close with a verse from the book of Lamentations, chapter 5, verse 21. This is taken from the Art Scroll, um, the Art Scroll series Tanakh. Quote, Hashivenu Adonai Elecha V'nashuva Chadesh Yamenu Kukadem Which in English is interpreted, Bring us back to you, Hashem, and we shall return. Renew our days as of old. End quote. The closing blessing is as follows. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu Torah temet vechaye olam nata patochenu Baruch atah Adonai noten haTorah Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You've given us your Torah of truth and have planted everlasting life within our midst. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Have a wonderful Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom. That concludes our show for today. Remember, because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song was produced and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com or visit our website at graftedin.com that's graftedin.com Thank you.